a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. On the much-anticipated, no-surprise category last night, former President Donald Trump announced that he is indeed running for president again. This was a uh, far more moderated, understated, uh, teleprompter-directed kind of speech than I think most are used to seeing from the former president. Uh, But in it, the president laid out his plan to make America great again again. Uh, And so the question is, what does that really mean for the 2024 presidential race? Will we see a repeat of President Trump versus President Biden uh, in a rematch? Uh, What does this do for the Georgia Senate race uh, that will be decided on December the 6th? So there's a lot of uh, things in the tea leaves there. And uh, to me, it was it was a really interesting speech to watch. The, The organization of it was a little odd in uh, in my view again from a speech construction standpoint he, right out of the gate he started talking about uh, North Korea and his uh, relationship with uh, Kim Jong Un uh, I thought that was a weird place to start a uh, presidential announcement but again it was kind of uh, the former president uh, saying look uh, I was strong on the world stage uh, we had things better North Korea wasn't launching so many missiles and tests uh, when uh, he was in charge. And so that's where he really began. Uh, but, of course, he did eventually get to the point in a stem winder of a speech that went well over an hour. Uh, the former president did make it official. He is running for president once again. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. So the interesting thing to me rolling into this uh, was actually something that happened before he ever took the podium. Uh, and this is really interesting and very telling, I think, in terms of where President Trump's candidacy is for 2024. Uh, the Club for Growth, uh, a group that uh, many are familiar with, a uh, conservative group, a group that uh, helped President Trump in a number of, of ways over the course of his presidency and his initial run, uh, they actually released a poll uh, just ahead of the president's speech last night Uh, that actually showed Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida with a double-digit lead over former President Trump in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other places. Uh, I think that was a very clear signal from Club for Growth uh, that they felt like that the former president's time had passed and that it was time to move on to, to new leadership. So that was a really interesting messaging move by Club for Growth Uh, before President Trump took to the stage and actually announced that he was indeed uh, running once again. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, President Trump uh, took time in the course of this speech. As I said before, he mostly stuck to the teleprompter, 
which for President Trump, I think, is is the ultimate act of discipline. That is really hard for him. There were a few moments where he went off script and off prompter, but he mostly stayed with it. And, and that often takes a lot of the energy out of the former president's speeches. Uh, so he, he stuck to that. But he did respond specifically in terms of criticism of the Republican Party's poor midterm performance, uh, going from what some were calling a certain red wave uh, to a puddle to a trickle. Uh, the blue wall clearly held. And former President Trump stated that uh, perhaps the American people had not experienced enough economic pain to cast a different vote. Interesting. Much criticism is being placed on the fact that the Republican Party should have done better. And frankly, much of this blame is correct. But the citizens of our country have not yet realized the full extent and gravity of the pain our nation is going through. And the total effect of the suffering is just starting to take hold. They don't quite feel it yet, but they will very soon. I have no doubt that by 2024, it will sadly be much worse and they will see much more clearly what happened and what is happening to our country. And the voting will be much different. 2024. So interesting uh, talking about where we currently are and uh, projecting that the American people haven't quite felt all the pain of the current administration's policies, uh, expecting that to happen more over the course of the next year or so, and so that votes would be cast accordingly in 2024. Uh, One of the interesting things that uh, the former president got to was uh, his contrast of the Democrats' governing ethos with his own. Interesting. The radical left Democrats have embraced an extreme ideology of government domination and control. Our approach is the opposite. One based on freedom, values, individual responsibility, and just plain common sense. It's common sense. Now, it's interesting to me, you know, if you take out the front half of that in vilifying, demonizing, weaponizing the words of the other side, had the former president just stuck to, here's what I'm about and here's how I want to govern, that's a very different that's a very different soundbite, uh, but uh, the president couldn't resist the the jabs and the pokes uh, at the Democrats. And again, I think that is the portion of all of this that has the American people sort of with a little bit of knot in their stomach in terms of what we are likely to be hearing uh, for the next couple of years. Uh, president Trump is clearly banking on the economy uh, in his run, and he laid out some guidelines uh, for a an economic policy agenda. With victory, we will again build the greatest economy ever. It will take place quickly. We will build the greatest economy ever. Every policy must be geared toward that which supports the American worker, the American family, and businesses both large and small. So I think some of the interesting takeaways from last night, uh, obviously none of the major networks carried the speech, uh, which was a big departure from what happened both during the 2016 and 2020 election cycles and during his presidency. Uh, The networks always uh, were zooming in. I think part of that was uh, kind of the NASCAR crash factor of wondering what he might say that might be inflammatory. Uh, That's good for clicks. That's good for headlines. uh, That's not good for conversations for the country. And so it was interesting to me that uh, during the course of this speech, uh, not only did none of the major networks uh, take any of it, CNN took the first, I think, 23 or 24 minutes of a speech that went well over an hour. uh, And then they cut and uh, spent the remainder of the hour on CNN breaking down uh, the 
former president's vices, his problems, uh, January 6th, and, and kind of going back into that mode. Also interesting, Fox News uh, covered the speech, uh, and they dipped out of live coverage of the speech, went to some analysis, uh, went back in for a little bit, and uh, then in a really interesting move, one of uh, former president's uh, supporters, Laura Ingram, uh, dipped out while the president was talking and say, we will go back to the former president's speech uh, if there is news or anything noteworthy. Uh, and that was that. Uh, so that's also very telling that the networks were saying, yeah, we're not we're not going to go all in on this all the time. I think it was sort of a wait and let's see what actually happens. Now, here's what I think is the biggest challenge uh, for the former president in a third run for the presidency. Uh, never mind the historics. Uh, nobody except for uh, I think the last one was Grover Cleveland was the last one to serve non-consecutive terms as president. Uh, so he has a lot of history going against him. But I think the biggest thing he has going against him is that it appears from this speech that he is going to continue down this strategy of grievance, that it is going to be a grievance agenda uh, of what's not fair and uh, the the negative side of all of this, what's your against kind of campaign. And I'm not sure that works over a two-year period uh, for the American people. Yes, uh, we have grievances. Yes, we get angry. Yes, we can shout and protest and do all of those things. Uh, That is a very American thing. And then we move on. Uh, We are not a grievance society. Uh, And I fear we've been creeping closer to that, which I'm sure is part of the reason why the former president is using this as a strategy. Uh, It worked for him before, uh, that it's us against them, uh, a lot of division, Uh, But I don't think that strategy of grievance is sustainable because the people of the United States of America are, yes, we have problems. Yes, we have difficulties. We can argue, yell yell and scream about it all. uh, But then ultimately we pick up and we move forward. That'll be the test for the former president. We'll see who else gets in as we can continue our conversation around that. Who's most likely to uh, be the challengers? Why are governors better presidents in many cases? We'll break that down as well. Stick around. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. More inside sources coming up. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.